Coronavirus is ramping down. Churches should be ramping up. Is your church ramping up? Hopefully it is. Ours is. And a simple question for you today. If there was more power available to you in God than you currently have right now, wouldn't you be interested in it? Sadly, many Christians aren't. And we're going to talk about that today on your favorite night of the week. It is The Deep End. Okay, welcome and everybody to the deep end. As the corona crisis starts to ramp down, is it fact? Is it fiction? Is it rumor? Is it just hope? I don't know. I don't care. I just want it to end. How about you? <laughs> this is what I think, I believe, most true for most parents is every child. I should be back in school. Yeah, yeah I mean, enough, you know, and, you know, she goes on to say on the other side of the ocean. I agree with that <laughs> sentiment as well. <laughs> So coronavirus, yep, uh, we reopened, yeah, this past Sunday. It is Tuesday after Memorial Day. It feels like a Monday, Michael. We were talking about that. Yeah, like no, Monday. it does. And, uh, such a doozy. Yeah, so anyway, <laughs> yeah, welcome welcome into the Tuesday night deep end. Like and subscribe us. Subscribe to us. Like and subscribe to us. Don't subscribe us. At youtube.com slash the deep end TV. Welcome to FM 99.5 in Rhode Island. Welcome to Spotify. Welcome to WEZE Radio in Boston. My name is Tim. I'm the host of the Deep End Podcast. A COVID commentary for you, and that is we reopen. <laughs> I told you that I would say, talk about the COVID uh, crisis throughout its duration, and so we're going to just talk about the fact that we reopened. Michael, you were instrumental in that. Uh, oh, everybody in this room actually was instrumental. Uh, Kelly and uh, um, Andre, uh, instrumental in that. Thank and you for that. It went well. Oh, I loved it. It was, oh, it was amazing. It was great. Uh, was it great to be back? Let us know in the comments below. We want to hear from you. I love the chat. Check the chat every time uh, after the podcast airs. Uh, can't check it live, but I check it afterwards. And <laughs> so uh, let us know. Did you did you have a good time? Were you too afraid to come? Were you too hesitant? Not afraid. Maybe not hesitant. Maybe you're just too cautious. Maybe you're just being cautious. Were you in one of those categories of, you know... Um, uh, what we call a pre-existing condition, you know, yeah, the, yeah. The, the, the crisis category, if you will. And uh, you stayed home for that reason. Well, we're glad to bring our services to you online for that very reason. So no guilt, no condemnation, because there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. But we were excited to be there and ha yeah. have service. It was awesome. You, you know, for, for having less people in the room than we normally have, it felt so full. It It was just... It was palpable, honestly. Yeah. Uh, big words there. <laughs> yeah, it was. It was, and uh, it, you know, we have first Wednesday or first Tuesday services, which is a once a month uh, Tuesday night service for the people who really called their church this church their church. And man, it felt like a first Tuesday. Yeah, yeah, and, very much like that. You know, you want to go to first Tuesday because the Holy Spirit moves in such a powerful way. So many people talk about how those moments on first Tuesday really connect them to Waters Church. Uh, and we love it. I love it. It's my favorite uh, night of the month for me uh, to go to First Tuesday. And by the way, which will be happening this coming Tuesday, not, of course, tonight, but no deep end next week because we're having First Tuesday at Water Church in North Africa. June Apple. 2nd. Is that June 2nd? June yeah. 2nd. So June 2nd. Back, you mark your calendar. You have to <laughs> register, and I do have something for you to see. We'll put up on the screen. This is our service schedule, service updates, and that is limited in-person schedule Sunday is up, available for you to register now. Tuesday is up for them to register, Kelly. Yes, Tuesday. That is first Tuesday. That's not tonight, obviously. <laughs> so this is next Tuesday night, 6 p.m. prayer, 7 p.m. worship, 7.30-ish word. And we are going to take communion very safely, very safely for you. So it will not be a scary moment, and uh, we will take all necessary health precautions so that you can receive the Lord's Supper with us for the first time in 12 weeks. I mean, it was a, it was a conviction of mine that we should not be... Um, having the Lord's Supper when we're not together. That is for the gathering of the church, scripturally speaking. Yeah, good call. So we are finally going to have it again together, and that's where we do it as a church on uh, at Waters Church at First Tuesday. So make sure that you register at waterschurch.org slash events for either this Sunday or next Tuesday. And then just in perpetuity, until this crisis finally comes to an end, we're going to be having a regularly... Uh, a 10 a.m. service on Sunday, and um, you will have to register. You will have to pre-register to come. So that's the COVID commentary. Let's get into the Deep End News. Deep End News. The news you choose if you could choose news. 
All right, so a lot of churches are not ramping up. They are actually just staying put. And so I say, from the new, from the good news category, you know, you've heard of John Krasinski's Some Good News yeah, YouTube yeah. channel, which really was awesome, That's by the way. Nice. He shut it down. I, uh. think, I think he's ready, though, to like, all right, enough. You know, let's get yeah. back to him. So good for you, John Krasinski. Newton, Massachusetts native John Krasinski. Oh, I didn't Did know you, that. Yeah, no. he's from yeah. Newton or Needham. One of the N towns up there in the so suburbs of, of Boston. <laughs> yeah. So he's from around there. And so is Michael Scott or Steve Carell. Yeah, I, I did know that yeah. somewhere up in there. A lot of the cast from The Office are from there. From, well, you know, from Scranton's just down the street, so. Yes, yeah, Scranton, right, yeah, backyard. <laughs> <laughs> or Stanford is. Stanford's not too yeah. far. It's three hours away. Yeah. Anyway, um, so anyway, from the good news category, the Universalist, the Unitarian Universalist Association has updated their approach to coronavirus crisis. And they have made a decision that they will not be meeting in gatherings, in person, until May 2021. Oh, thank God. (laughs) Praise God. (laughs) And I say, yes, keep going, Unitarians. I'm all for this. The less in-person services you have, the happier I believe <laughs> the world will be. <laughs> and you say, we'll, we'll take it. We'll yeah. take it. <laughs> Pastor, that's mean. Why should you pick on another, another church? I will pick on any church that dares to call itself a church and not preach the gospel of Jesus. Amen, and those brother. people, <laughs> they have not preached the gospel for 300 nope. years. Nope. Okay. Nope. They were ahead of the curve. So I, I used to I used to be on a, a, a young person choir back in the day that met at, a, at one of those Unitarian churches. Oh my gosh, I yeah. was too. Were you really? Oh, what wow. that? Were we separated at birth? I, I are you sure you're not 43? Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I was actually a member of a choir. Well, it was my school choir, and we sang at a universalist no church. Kidding. Yes, we did. Um, I'm not, not going to say live where, where it was, but okay. we'll, we'll talk later. Yeah, fine. <laughs> uh, anyway, you know, the universalist, head of the curve on uh, mainline denominational uh, trends, which really largely took part in the last century of this abandoning the gospel because we can't believe the fables of the Bible anymore. They can't be true. Science has proved it. Science has proved it. And you know what? They, they bow at the altar of science, and guess what? They're serving science. Here's what the article says. Based on advice from, here it is, experts. <laughs> we continue to recommend that congregations not gather in person. We also recommend that congregations begin planning for virtual operations for the next year. Wow, good for you. Man, <laughs> I'm, I'm usually glad I'm not a Unitarian Universalist, but today I'm doubly glad. Yeah, uh, yeah we, uh, we support, though, their decision to not hold in-person services because they don't preach the gospel, honestly. you know, I, I know they're holding, you know, a lot of times they're a holding place for formerly saved Christians mm-hmm. or former you know, Bible thumpers who get disenfranchised, so they go and they have their meetings there, but they're not having services. So I only bring this up, too, to say this, and I brought it up on Sunday at our reopening services. The experts are, are typically wrong. Like, the experts are typically yeah. wrong. Yeah. And I got, which, which Anthony Fauci are we believing in? February, yeah. right. March, exactly. April? He said he three just, different things. He just came out and said that if we, if we carry on the lockdown any further, it's going to be detrimental, irrevocably detrimental <laughs> to us. No, duh. Like, you know, do we need an expert? I, uh, I've said this yeah. from the beginning, but we have been listening to the people who have, been, were, have, have made a living on being worst-case scenario people uh, for their profession. Like, this is doctors we're talking about. Yeah, yeah. And again, if I had a nickel for every time somebody told me that the doctor gave me six months and I'm talking to them six years later. Mm-hmm. Like, doctors, I know, they're supposed to be precautious. How many doctors have told uh, people their whole lives, you should be eating right and exercising? And and the person's like 400 pounds and does not lift his finger and he's like 85 years old. I mean... <laughs> yeah, yeah, it happens. I, and I'm not saying that that's healthy and you should do that. My point is that doctors typically are in the business of cautioning people, yeah. warning people, imagining worst case scenario. Yeah. Well, you and, know, what, he, what he, he, he said something in February, basically what's true today that we know now, he said in February... What happened between the end of February and March, what was it, 15th, when he, when he gave the, the testimony before Congress? That's what triggered the shutdown, his, his testimony. What happened between the end of February? He was like, oh, it's a bad flu, which is basically what we know now. What we know now, right, yeah. Uh, what happened to those? It's like 10 days there. And, and before, then, yeah, and let me just talk about that. Before anybody says, no, 100,000 deaths is not a joke, and I agree it's not a joke, uh, but there are scores of reports coming out about how many non-COVID deaths are being counted as COVID deaths. Scores. 
And I just actually have a friend. I actually have an elder in our church whose mother just passed away very sadly. But she was on her way out. She mm-hmm. passed away from other causes. Right. But she had contracted COVID right before she died. So guess uh, what? COVID death. Right, right. Um, there was a homicide. They died with COVID, but not of COVID. Right. Yeah. And there was a homicide victim listed on the front page of the New York Times when they did the thousand name list a couple days ago. New York yeah, Times published a thousand names. There was a homicide victim on there. <laughs> then I saw a news report that 30 homicide victims, I think it's in Chicago or Minneapolis, were listed as COVID-19 deaths, and they were shot to death. This is... There is so much disinformation, and I know that the whole fake news thing is like this hashtag created by Donald Trump, but you know what? It's true. There's so much fake news. Yeah. We can't trust it anymore. If, if you're getting to that point where you're, where you're listing homicide victims as, as COVID deaths, something's that's up. fake news. Sorry. Yeah. And something's <laughs> up. No matter what side of the aisle you fall on, that's, that's fake news right there. Anyway, moving on to the news. Based on the experts, universalists, yeah, keep trusting the experts because here's, here's what Governor Cuomo just said. The experts are all wrong. This is from Forbes magazine. Uh, the title of the article is, We All Failed, the, reason, the Real Reason Behind New York Governor Cuomo's Surprising Confession. On Monday, Andrew Cuomo made an admission that is rare to hear from America's top leaders. He got it wrong. Speaking at a news briefing uh, on the coronavirus epidemic, or pandemic, sorry, at the Intrepid Sea, Air, and Space Museum in New York City on Memorial Day, Cuomo addressed questions about when, when New York City would fully reopen, or when New York State, sorry, would fully reopen. When asked about whether there was a specific, specific timeline, he responded like this. People can speculate. People can guess. I think next week, two weeks, a month. <laughs> so he's just like throwing it out there with them. And then he said, I'm out of that business because we all failed at this business, at that business, right? All the early national experts, here's my projection model. Here's my projection model. They were all wrong. They were all wrong. This is Cuomo yeah, telling us everybody was wrong. And, you know, I was saying this back on the deep end uh, um, two months ago. Like, stop listening to everybody. Stop. Yeah, we should have we should have played back the tapes. I, yeah, <sighs> you know, and 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 some of you get a little bit you know weary of me talking about this stuff. This stuff matters. It matters because it gets into your spirit. I'm a pastor. I care about your spirit, and I, I care about when you're getting disinformation. We're going to talk about that in the Book of Acts today. When you get disinformation, it affects your spirit. Mm-hmm. How many times have you heard something that's not true? How many times have you worried about something that's not actually ever going to happen to you? Panic spreads, man. It, it spreads. It's yeah. easy. And it, by the way, it's inherent to the sinful nature because of the fall, because of sin. The first thing Adam and Eve do after they eat the fruit, they Panicked. hear God's voice and they run. Yeah. Fear is inherent to who we are. It doesn't take much to cause people to be afraid. Anyway, he says, uh, he goes on in this article. He says, I understand there's many variables. We didn't know what social distancing would do. I get it, but we were all wrong. So I'm sort of out of the guessing, guessing business. Well, thank you. Get out of the guessing business so that we can get back to our real lives amen and move on um evidently there was this a lot of frustration is rooted in the university of washington's institute for health metrics and evaluation their model which everybody listened to turns out their model of how many deaths how many infections way overestimated and people can now start saying well the lockdown worked i don't think so because in the states where the lockdown lasted the least amount of time they're actually having the least amount of deaths yeah yeah I saw a report about how you need vitamin D to fight this thing off. You need mm-hmm. vitamin D and zinc, right? I've taken that every day. Have since, you been? Yeah, since yeah. middle March. In yep. New, I mean, in New England, you have to from yeah. what October <laughs> till the end yeah. of June. <laughs> my, my landlord just put a new deck out on on our uh, our property, and and we've been we've been out there every, every sunny day. We've been out there. We're like, yes, yes, yeah. please. <laughs> so you need vitamin D. Get outside. So what were we doing? We were, we were staying inside. The experts said, oh, stay inside. That's where it's safe. So we were avoiding the sun, avoiding vitamin D, right? And then something like 62% of the contractions of this virus happened indoors mm-hmm. at home. Mm-hmm. So the very thing that they told us to do actually worked against us and caused more harm. The experts are rarely right. And this whole this whole diatribe, science says, science is the business of investigating. Science is in the business of um, challenging assumptions. Do we not know this? I think the problem really is that public schools don't teach kids anymore. They don't no. teach kids anymore. They indoctrinate kids. Oh, and by the way, that is another positive thing from the coronavirus. I heard a report about how many 
parents are not sending their kids back to school ever again mm. because of Praise the, God. because they were exposed <laughs> because they were exposed to the indoctrination of the curriculum. As, as a homeschooled kid myself, praise God. Yes, maybe and you I know. Were right. I know you're very maybe pro homes, or you're very pro public school, but I'm I'm very I'm not pro, pro public school. I'm pro getting my kids out of the house. Uh, I that's need fair. a break. That's fair. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so. Uh, a lot of parents are saying, this is what they're teaching my kid. Now they're not sending their kids back yeah. ever again. Yeah. And I want to say, yay, another victory yep. from the COVID crisis. We might see some Christian schools pop out of this, too. Hopefully. Right? I, could, I could go for that. Hopefully. But there's no doubt that they're not teaching kids anymore because kids, no. and, and everybody's panicking. But nobody wants to listen to anybody, and they don't even understand what science is. Science is the business of challenging assumptions. In science, you never arrive at certainty. You arrive at speculation and examination theory. and theory, exactly, yeah, yeah. and hypotheses. Like the I, theory of evolution. Right, right. the theory of evolution, <laughs> exactly, not the scientifically proven fact. And yeah. even I was watching Ricky Gervais's show Afterlife on Netflix, yeah. day, and he was talking about that. He's, he's an atheist, and his character is always an atheist whenever he plays a character. Mm -hmm. And he was talking about, you mean the scientifically uh, factual uh, truth of evolution? <laughs> what the, this is misinformation. It is a theory. Anyway, we can go on and on about that. The fact <laughs> of the matter is, I said this on Sunday, we, we, we say science, 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 the experts, the experts, these are the people that can't even make up their minds between margarine and butter. I mean, mm -hmm. they can't even make <laughs> margarine butter. No olive oil now. You know, are good, are eggs good for you? No eggs are bad for you. No egg yolk are bad for you. No egg whites might be bad for you. I mean, mm -hmm. Bananas Always. are bad for you. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, okay. I think that is like there's this system where the farmers tell the scientists, we need to sell more you know, yeah. butter. So could you please say, you know, produce this report where butter is really good Wouldn't for you? would surprise me in the least. <laughs> I think there's this whole conspiracy. But don't get me started because I am a big conspiracy theorist on that kind of stuff. Anyway, we got to move on because uh, you're here for the word of God, I know. And so let's get into it. But before we get to Book of Acts, I want to get into Ask Anything. Do we have that stinger loaded up for Acts? Yeah, I wow. do. So here let's we run go. the stinger because I right. love the stingers. Go for it. Hit it. That's what I'm talking about. That was a good choice to run that stinger. I like that yeah. stinger. Okay, yeah. so... It's a, nice, it's a nice segue. Very nice. Yeah. We got a question. A question came in at ask at the deep end, ask at deepend.tv, or uh, it might have come in at 508-316-9333. Ask your questions. Love to answer them. What's the question today? The question is, do you, do you have it? Oh, we do. Okay, great. Uh, can you shed some light on the prosperity gospel and word of faith? Many seem to cling to these for hope in dire times. Uh, are these biblically sound or heresy? Yeah, well, whenever, let me just uh, preface this by just l asking you to look at the words that are in your question, because I know where they come from, first off, and that is that you have put this word prosperity in front of gospel. There is no other gospel. Paul says this in Galatians chapter 1. So this idea that there's the prosperity gospel, the gospel is the gospel. There, there's prosperity spiritually and eternally as a result of the gospel, but there is no such thing as a prosperity gospel. There is prosperity teaching. And that is that um, you can name it and claim it. You can, uh, you know, think it and imagine it. And your words have creative power. And there's all there's all kinds of um, variations of this, and all kinds of branches of the prosperity movement, word of faith movement. Um, but they are inherently wrong. They are inherently uh, not biblical. But the the reality is, and this is why people fall for these things, is because there's just enough truth to be dangerous. There's just enough truth to be dangerous. And I say this about a lot of things, and we're going to talk about that in the book of Acts. That's why I wanted to answer this question today. Because, you know, Satan, the scripture says, disguises himself as an angel of light. So he's never going to come out with the horns and the, you know, the tail with the point and the pitchfork and say, here I am. I mean, he's going to look where, like, like God, and he's going to present this idea, this concept that sounds just Christian enough to be truthful, but it's actually a lie cloaked in a lot of um, uh, vestiges of Orthodox Christianity. That's the prosperity gospel or the prosperity teaching. Now, where does it come from? It comes from uh, New Thought, which is way back in uh, the 1800s. Uh, the, uh, the Enlightenment and all that kind of stuff kind of gave way into this. Not the Enlightenment. There's another, there's another New Light. New Light theory. Uh, back in the 1800s and it branched off and it went down to the Deep South and that's where they all come from today. But this idea that, you know, if you, if, you, if you think positive thoughts, if you 
actuate your words and your thoughts that you can, you know, because of Jesus, you are, you are entitled to the good life. You are entitled to health and wealth. Well, there's a problem. The problem is that the forebearers of our faith, such as Paul, such as John, such as Peter, and, you know, name the apostles, and name the many disciples of the apostles and their disciples who handed the faith down to us through generation after generation— these people suffered, okay? And if you read uh, Hebrews chapter 11, it's a fantastic book, uh, chapter. It's called the, uh, theologians and, and Bible scholars call it the hall of fame for faith, right? All the people that had faith and believed God and experienced great blessing, and, and many of them did, but then you get to about verse 32 of Hebrews chapter 11, and then it talks about people who were stoned, sawed in two, um, left for dead, uh, lived in the wilderness, uh, people the world were not worthy of. Well, you know, there's this both and to the Christian and faithful experience. Yes, God will bless faithfulness, but yes, you live in a fallen world that will challenge your faith and upend your faith and cause you great harm and, and, and discomfort for your faith. Uh, I always bring people back to Philippians 1.29. I believe that's the passage, Philippians 1.29. I don't have a Bible on me right now, but anyway, I, I believe it says, it has been granted to you to not only believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, but to suffer for his name. Um, even in the book of Acts, chapter 14, Paul goes on to say, to the, uh, to the church, he says, through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. So this idea that you will have uh, this enormously blessed, prosperous life because you're a Christian could happen, but it is not the guarantee and it's not the normative experience for the vast majority of Christians throughout history. So I think that, yes, you're right. Some people cling to these um, heresies, uh, these false teachings, because of dire times. And these, these teachers typically prey on the poor. Uh, and the gullible. And we're going to talk about that actually in our conversation of the book of Acts. So we're going to get to the book of Acts right after this ad. We'll be right back. The Deep End with Tim Hatch is made possible by contributions from listeners and viewers like you. If you would like to partner with us to support this ministry, you can go to thedeepend.tv slash partner or on the cash app with the cash tag, thedeependtv. Okay, we're in Acts chapter 18 and 19 today, and the title of this talk is Be Open to More of the Lord. Be Open to More of the Lord, the subtitle, The Importance of Not Feeling You've Arrived. And we're going to talk about why it's so important as Christians that we are always willing to receive more of God, more of the Holy Spirit, more of His power. And if you're one of those people that you just love more of the Lord, more of the teaching of the Word of God, there's a good chance that you turn in the deep end because you love to just hear the Word of God. You want more of His power in your life. I'm so glad for that. That's why we provide this content to you every Tuesday night. Like and subscribe for that very reason. But anyway, I want to talk to you about the fact that there is a, there's a need for us as the church to always be open to more of the Lord. He has more to give to you than you currently have. And the fact that I see as a pastor in today's generation is there's a lot of professing Christians that talk about feeling empty. The text that we're in today, I actually preached on this text in our church, Waters Church, uh, last year on a series called, I'm a Christian, but I still, dot, dot, dot. And I answered several questions during that series. I'm a Christian, but I still doubt. I'm a Christian, but I still get afraid. And here's one of the, the, the one part that I, I talked on from this passage today in Acts chapter 18 and 19, which is, I am a Christian, but I still feel empty sometimes. There's a lot of Christians that feel empty. And I see a lot of Christians, they need more of the Lord than they currently have. And I also see that there's this false teaching that, that, that kind of roots them or lets them stay placated in this place where they just never seek more of God's power. Now, to discuss this, we're going to go to Acts chapter 18 and 19. And we're going to talk about two uh, people right off the bat. First is Apollos, who becomes actually a partner of Paul in the ministry of the gospel. And then this city called Ephesus, the fourth largest city in the Roman Empire at the time. It was a city of 250,000 people. It was an important city. It was a high trade area. It was a very uh, mystical city as well. We're going to talk about that in a moment, but we're going to talk about what happens in Ephesus that basically patterns for us the reality that Christians and people of faith should consistently seek more of God's power, teaching, and truth to penetrate their hearts and lives, and how, how needful it is 
that, that you engage in a spirit of receptivity and never feel like you've arrived, you've crossed that T, you've dotted that I, and you no longer need to go there or you can't listen to others. This is a very dangerous place that a lot of Christians get to. We don't want to get there. We want more of the Lord. Amen? So let's get into the text. We're going to look at this first talking about Apollos, who actually was living in Ephesus at this time. Uh, Acts chapter 18, verse 24. Now a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man. And notice what it says here. He's competent in the scriptures. uh, And he had been instructed in the way of the Lord. And being fervent in spirit, he spoke. Look at this resume of of my friend Apollos here. He spoke and he taught accurately. So he's not, he's not misleading people, okay? He's, he's speaking and he's teaching accurately the things concerning Jesus. Now, make sure that you are aware clearly of what um, Apollos is and where he's at spiritually. He knows about Jesus. He's teaching about Jesus. He's not just teaching, but he's teaching accurately. And not only is he teaching accurately, but he's teaching fervently, passionately, in spirit. And by the way, notice that the word spirit, the S is not capitalized. That's important for us to understand. He, he had passion. This is not talking about he had the Holy Spirit. He had passion. And then this little qualifier, though he only knew of the baptism of John. Okay. What do we know about Apollos? He's a Jew. Uh, he's a native of Alexandria, which was the uh, cultural learning center of North Africa. Uh, second largest city in the Roman Empire. So now he's in the fourth largest city in the Roman Empire. So he's very well-schooled. He's a knowledgeable guy. He's an intellectual guy. He's also a passionate guy. We talked about that a couple weeks weeks ago. Ethos, pathos, logos, when you're a public communicator. So he had pathos and he he had logos. He knew what he was talking about. But he only knew the apostle, uh, I'm sorry, John the Baptist's uh, baptism. Now, what does that mean? Well, John the Baptist preached a baptism of repentance. Now remember, there's John, the apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ, the beloved apostle, and then there's John the Baptist, the forerunner of Christ, and these are two different people. Well, John the Baptist taught that people must repent of their sins, be baptized for the forgiveness of their sins. This is a different baptism than the baptism into Jesus, and I'm going to explain this because it's so important we get so confused about this. I fully believe that there's a lot of Christians, when they get baptized, there's a lot of people in churches today, they don't even realize this, they're getting baptized, and they're doing the John the Baptist baptism. They're not doing the Jesus baptism. You say, well, Pastor, what's the difference? Well, we know from Scripture, from Matthew chapter 3, uh, verse 1, in those days John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Jesus, Judea, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. So his first message is repent, which means what? Change your mind about sin and change your mind about God. Turn from sin. You see the effects of sin in your life? Turn from it. A lot of people, that's as far as they go with faith. Oh, man, sin sucks. I don't want to do this anymore. So I want to believe in Jesus and see if I can get my life together. So they repent. All right, but then he says in verse 7 and 9, when he sees the Pharisees coming, he says, hey, you brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the coming wrath, bear fruit in keeping with, in keeping with, with, with repentance. So right there he's saying not just repent, but prove your repentance by doing good works. In other words, you say you hate sin, so start doing some good things. And then he talks about in verse 11 of Matthew 3, he says this, I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And fire. And this is an important dis, uh, distinction between John's baptism and John's baptism and Jesus' baptism. John baptized in water as a symbol of you are turning from your sins. Jesus baptizes us in the Holy Spirit to receive the power of God. There's a very big difference in baptisms, okay? Very big difference in those two teachings. John was preparing people's hearts for Jesus' coming. Jesus was making way, not for his coming, but for the Holy Spirit's coming into the bodies of those who would believe on him. This was where Apollos was. He was between those two baptisms. He was a follower of Jesus. He was a follower of Jesus. I want you to hear that again. He was a follower of Jesus. And I want to say something that's going to sound shocking, but it's true. It's a very dangerous place to be a follower of Jesus. It's a very dangerous place. And I, and I mean it's a spiritual precarious, spiritually precarious place to be when you claim that you are a follower of Jesus. You say, oh, that sounds weird, Pastor. What do you mean? Let me continue and I'll make my point. Verse 26. It says, He began to speak boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila, remember these are teammates of Paul, 
Priscilla and Aquila heard him. They took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. So there's things that he needed to learn. Be open to more of the Lord. And when he uh, wished to cross to Achaia, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. When he arrived, he greatly helped those who, who through grace had believed, for he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the scriptures that the Christ was Jesus. So, okay, back to my point about Apollos. He knew the word, but he still needed to know more of what following and being in Christ was all about. And I said this before, he's a follower of Jesus, but here's the difference that I really believe about Apollos. Though he was a follower of Jesus, he had yet to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, some, at some point in your Christian walk, you might encounter this, this belief, and a lot of people do this. It's not important that you be filled with the Holy Spirit. Just believe in Jesus. That is a lie. You must be filled with the Holy Spirit. And there's another, there's another subset of this teaching, which is um, the moment that you believe in Jesus, you're filled with the Holy Spirit. And that also is a lie. Because not everybody who believes in Jesus, quote-unquote, has fully surrendered their life to him, and therefore they live with zero power and zero evidence of the Spirit's work in their life. Now, you might hear these things, and this is, my import, this is why it's important that you lean in here and allow me to teach you what the text is showing us. And it's showing us through two groups of people, Paul, I mean, Apollos, and the church that is in Ephesus. I want to backtrack. It's dangerous to be only a follower of Jesus. Now, this is becoming very popular because... Because Christianity has so much, the word Christianity has so much cultural baggage associated with it. Oh, Christianity, weren't those the Puritans who came and, you know, raped and pillaged? Wasn't, wasn't Christopher Columbus a Christian? And, oh, oh, and, and Christians, didn't they support segregation and slavery? And yet, yet, so there's all this cultural baggage to the term Christianity. So, to be clever, a lot of Christians say, I'm no longer a Christian. I'm a, I'm a follower of Jesus. I'm a follower. Okay. No, that you are not called to only be a follower of Jesus. It's, it's this idea that comes from Matthew chapter four, where Jesus asked the disciples, come follow me. But remember, remember, please remember that for the three years that the disciples followed Jesus, they literally have no clue what's going on. They fumble and bumble and stumble through the whole three years. They're arguing about who's going to be first, who's going to be the greatest. They're questioning Jesus' motives. They don't understand the cross. He's talking about his death. They're like, what? What are you talking about? That's ridiculous. At one point, Peter has to be rebuked and be called Satan by Jesus himself in Matthew chapter 16 because he does not understand what Jesus came for. That though they were following Jesus, listen, they had no clue what it meant to belong to him, what it meant to be a Christian. They didn't. And, and it's so important that we, we talk about this because the idea of following Jesus is becoming, it's becoming culturally savvy to say. And people put it in their, in, their, in their Twitter bios, I'm a follower of Jesus. Okay, fine. You know, I, I understand the sentiment. But are you born again? Jesus did not say you must be a follower. He said you must be born again. Born of the Spirit. It is so important that we understand this. Even Jesus taught the disciples that it was more advantageous, John chapter 16, verse 7, it was more advantageous for them to have the Holy Spirit in them than for Jesus to be walking beside them or in front of them. In other words, to be filled with the Holy Spirit is more important than to have Jesus standing right there with you. I'm trying to tell you that there is this dangerous philosophy that you follow Jesus. That is not Christianity. Yes, we follow his teachings, but we come up short daily. Regular, minute by minute sometimes. Following Jesus is an age-old form of religion that has been tried and found wanting in almost every generation. This idea that we're simply going to follow the teachings of Jesus and then someday if we follow them enough, God will accept us. This is what liberal mainline Christianity teaches. This is what universalism is rooted in. Follow the teachings of Jesus. This is what Thomas Jefferson, who founded the Universalist Church, Believed. He actually cut out all the miracles of the New Testament because he didn't, he didn't believe them anymore. He just wanted to follow the teachings of Jesus. This is what Gandhi would say. Gandhi would say, sure, follow the teachings. He said, I love your Jesus, but I don't like Christians. And, and so he liked the teachings. Christianity is not following the teachings of Jesus. Christianity is believing that Jesus died for your sins, bore your sins on the cross, went to heaven, rose again, went to heaven, and gave the Holy Spirit to his followers. 
And I want to give the death knell to the idea that you can just follow Jesus. I want to give you the death knell right here. Remember, Judas followed Jesus for three years. And he's in hell. He followed Jesus for three years. He never received the Holy Spirit. He never put his faith in him. He followed him. This is where I think Apollos is. Now, he's not Judas. No, he's not Judas. He's, he's, and this is what separates Apollos from Judas because look at what it says again in the text. Priscilla and Aquila heard him. A couple of things I want to point out here about first. First about um, Apollos. No, 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 no. First about Priscilla and Aquila. First, they heard him and they realized that there was something missing. Uh, it, so true for Christians. And I, and I trust and I hope you will lean in here and hear me say this. Christians, you have got to weigh carefully what is being said in the teaching of God's word. You have to learn to develop a discerning spirit. This is what the Holy Spirit actually does for you, the fullness of the Holy Spirit. He gives you a discernment to hear someone say, wait a second, it sounds, sounds right, but it's not right. There's something off about that. This is from 1 Corinthians 14, 21. Let, uh, 14, 29, sorry. 1 Corinthians 14, 29. Let two or three prophets speak and let the others weigh what is said. In other words, when you hear the teaching of God's word, weigh it. Test it. Don't just say, oh, okay. <laughs> no, no. Listen to it with a discerning spirit. It's called critical thinking. And this is, again, uh, reaches back to what we were talking about. With, with, with schools today, they don't teach critical thinking skills anymore. They teach groupthink. They teach groupthink because you got to think this way because this is the way that has been true for all ages and even though it's not been true for all ages, it's been true for our age and we think we're so smart. We think we're, we're so smart than every other generation that came before us. So everybody has to think like this. It's called groupthink. Groupthink is in. Groupthink is big. Critical thinking is far better and it's losing traction in our current world. Uh, case in point, YouTube right now is censoring any video out there that dares question all the CDC guidelines regarding the coronavirus epidemic. Don't you think, even if somebody misleads you, don't you think you should be able to decide for yourself who's right and who's wrong? Do you really need some big tech giant in California who's disconnected from you personally and regionally to make a decision as to what is right for you to hear and what is wrong for you to hear? Don't you think that you're a grown-up, you're a big boy, you're a, you're a big girl, you can make some discerning choices for yourself? It's just kind of ironic how the, the, the culture which has been telling us to be ourselves and be individuals and think for ourselves and, and don't let anybody trap you into any one way of thinking has now decided to trap everybody into one way of thinking and censor anybody who doesn't think rightly. rightly. It's called groupthink. It's a major poison in our day and age. So Priscilla and Aquila love it because they don't have groupthink. They hear Apollos and they say, wait a second, something's off. And I love that. I love, learn how to be a thinker like that. You say, Pastor, should I question what you say from the pulpit? You should, you should absolutely think about, is this from the Scriptures? You should th is he teaching the Scriptures, or is he just giving us his opinion? Is this scripturally true, or is this, you know, veiled lies? And I mean, I try. I am, by God's grace, giving you God's truth. But listen, you need to be a person who sits and weighs what is being said and not just be a, uh, you know, adult who just group thinks with everybody else and, oh, it must be said, it must be true. He's up there. He can speak well. He can speak well, must be true. No, no, no. Wait, have discernment. Second person I want to talk to you about is Apollos in this passage because I love Apollos' response. They took him aside. Now, remember, this guy was powerfully preaching, eloquent, and from Alexandria, the institutional learning center of North Africa, the second largest city in the Roman Empire. And when Priscilla and Aquila come along and say, wait a second, you're not exactly teaching what is right here. You need some more instruction. I love that Apollos doesn't say, who do you think you are? I'm Apollos. I'm from Alexandria. I, I'm, don't you see my passion up there preaching? And I love the fact that he's receptive. There's a temptation for me to think, oh, I've arrived. I'm a pastor. Look at the, look at the fruits of my ministry. Look at how great I've done. And I, there's a temptation to say, see, I don't need to learn from everybody. I need to learn from everybody. I, I, can, I could learn from anybody, right? Of course, I'm going to be discerning in my learning. But I should have an openness to say, well, maybe they see something the way that I should learn how to see it. As long as, as long as it's from the scriptures that they're teaching me this. But the fact of the matter is, we should never close our hearts to more of what God might say to us through the scriptures, through people that might not be the 
you know, intellectual uh, prophets of our age, the intellectual, you know, icons of our age. In fact, remember that, that, that Paul says in Corinthians that he chooses the foolish things to shame the wise. And my point is that if you want to be better, if you want to be stronger in the Lord, learn how to receive teaching. Be receptive to teaching and be receptive to what people might want to challenge you on. And so anyway, uh, do we, do we, we got to go back. Okay, so then, then he, he receives his teaching, and then look what it says in verse 28. He powerfully, now he's got power. This is a key term. Now he's got power to refute the Jews in public. Now he's got power, again, to show that the Scriptures are all about Jesus, and he's the fulfillment of the Scriptures. There's a change in his life because he was open to more instruction, and that should be true for you. When you come to church, be open. When you listen to this podcast, be open. Don't let doctrinal doors close your mind to what God could reveal to you, again, through the Word. Don't be open to anybody. We're going to talk about that in a moment. But, but be open to Bible teachers to see what can God show me through His Word from this person. Okay, anyway, moving on. We've got to talk about Ephesus. Verse 1 of chapter 19. And it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, so Apollos leaves Ephesus. And this is important. Get the geography right. Paul passed through the end of the country and came to Ephesus. So Apollos leaves Ephesus. Remember, Apollos had um, followed Jesus, believed in Jesus, taught eloquently for Jesus in Ephesus. Make sure you understand that. And so Paul now comes to Ephesus, and there he found some disciples. Now, these disciples, had they, you know that they had heard of Apollos, and they had been ta- taught and trained by him. So in Ephesus, Paul finds some disciples, and he says, Did you receive the Holy Spirit? When you believe. Notice the question is not, did you hear about Jesus? No, because they're already disciples. They're disciples according to what Apollos was. Disciples who had heard about Jesus and, listen, chosen to follow Jesus. And they said, look at their answer, no, we haven't even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. I mean, (laughs) by the way, there's a lot of churches in America that's the same thing. It's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Scriptures. You know, it's, it's, it's not the Holy Spirit that they emphasize. Now, can we, just, can we just point out the fact that Paul sees these disciples? He sees these disciples in Ephesus, where, where Apollos was. And his question for them is, um, did you receive the Holy Spirit? <laughs> what an incredibly interesting question to ask professing Christians. He asks them if they receive the Holy Spirit. Why would he ask them that question if there had not been some visible reason behind the question? My point is, he saw that something was missing, didn't he? He saw that they were lacking in conviction, power, maybe joy. How about this? Maybe fearlessness. Maybe they were, you know, uh, shaking in fear, quaking, everything everything upset them. Everything got them scared. They worried. They, they were anxious. They were depressed. They were nervous all the time. And at some point, they, Paul's like, wait a second, wait a second, wait a second. Did you receive the Holy Spirit? And I wonder, and I think about this. I believe this COVID-19 crisis has, conver- has confirmed something that I have feared for a long time, and that is this, that there are scores of Christians going through the motions of church, trying hard to follow Jesus, but not living in the fullness of the Holy Spirit. And this is why the news so easily can upset you. When all the experts have now been saw- saw- seen as wrong, when all of the prognosticators have now become false prophets when all the news that has upset us and caused us to fear for the last three months, and I've seen so many Christians buy into this, so many Christians literally lose their minds in fear because of this crisis. And I have to ask a question to them. Did you receive the Holy Spirit? Did you receive the Holy Spirit? Because you're you're too scared. I'm sorry, you're you're just too, you're too worked up about this. I, I get it. I get it. We don't want to go jumping off buildings. <laughs> I get it. We, we want to take necessary precautions to keep us and our families safe. I'm talking about the spirit of fear. I'm talking about the spirit of unmitigated anxiety. And you are so easily, you are so easily thrown into this spirit of the age. There's literally no difference between you and a non believer in response to this crisis. And I'm of the opinion 
that Christians and non-Christians both go through the same crap. They both go through the same crises, but they respond differently. That's the difference. See, it's not we avoid. That's, not, that's prosperity gospel. I avoid pain. No, Christians will experience pain. In this world, you will have trouble, John 16, We will experience pain, but we will respond differently than the people of this world. I, I just, I mean, I question what a perfectly timed teaching for us right now on the back end of corona crisis. Did you receive the Holy Spirit? Because without the Holy Spirit, you're going to flip out. You're going to freak out. Everything's going to bother you. Everything's going to upset you. It is in vitally important that you be a person who is filled with the Holy Spirit. John 3, 5, Jesus said, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. Romans 8, 9, 8, verse 9 says, You are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. See, it's not about being a follower of Jesus. It's about having the Holy Spirit of God in you that empowers you in your following of Jesus. 1 John 14, 3, by this we know, four, I'm sorry, 1 John 4, 13. There's only five chapters in 1 John. 1 John 4, 13, by this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of the Spirit. He's given us the Holy Spirit. It's what Jesus came to the cross to do, to give you the Holy Spirit. Just to read the whole chapter of Romans 8 at some point because it's all about the power of the Holy Spirit in you. In that fabulous chapter, Paul says these words. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh according to, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body. I can't get over the sin. I can't get over the sin. Are you filled with the Holy Spirit? He gives you the power to put to death the deeds of the body. You will lose in your battle of sin. You need the Holy Spirit to help you put it to death. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Notice, for all who follow Jesus are sons of God. That's not true. For all who are led by the Spirit of God, they are sons of God. For you did not receive, oh baby, (laughs) you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, what? Abba, Father. Just read Romans 8 at some point because it's all about the work of the Holy Spirit in your life and how he gives you confidence, power, fearlessness, courage, peace. He prays for you in your weaknesses. He gifts you. You need the Holy Spirit. Please don't fall for this culturally exciting, kind of culturally acceptable version of Christianity. We're just trying to follow the teachings of Jesus. You can't do it. You must receive the Holy Spirit. And so... To that end, Paul asked the Ephesian believers, did you receive the Holy Spirit? They said, we haven't even heard of the Holy Spirit. Verse 3, he says, so then what were you baptized into? And they said, John's baptism. Same as Apollo's. Remember, now there's a popular interpretation of this text that says, well, they had never received received Jesus. What, wrong? Wrong. Because Apollo's taught fervently and passionately and accurately about Jesus, but he just needed more. What did he need more of? He needed the Holy Spirit fullness. He was receptive to more of the Lord. And Paul, and Paul said in verse 4, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling people to believe in the one who is to come after him, that is Jesus. And then it says this in verse 5, and on hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. So they receive the Lord Jesus. Now they're baptized, and baptism is a symbol of what we do spiritually before the Lord. We surrender. So think about baptism. You go under the water backwards, like surrender. You fall, you know, somebody else puts you even under and they bring you out. It's a, it's a symbol that I've died with Christ. I'm raised to new life. It is not a, it is not this volitional decision to follow Jesus. It is a supernatural work of the Holy Spirit wherein we surrender to Jesus. We surrender to him. And then, notice what happens next. And when Paul laid his hands on them, The Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying, and there were about 12 men in all. Okay. Now, on the other end of this spectrum of this passage is the uh, classic Pentecostal doctrine that says, you only have the Holy Spirit when you speak in tongues. Well, I don't agree with that either. So, while I do believe that there there, there is an empowerment and visible and real experience that you will have when you 
truly surrender to the Lord Jesus Christ. At the same time, I don't limit the power of the Holy Spirit only to those who are speaking in other tongues. Because even in this passage, he says they were speaking in tongues and prophesying. So some prophesied and some spoke in tongues. Not everybody spoke in tongues. I think that that can get a little bit abusive when you think, okay, only when you speak in tongues do you have the Holy Spirit. That's, that's not right. That's not biblical, okay? We have the Holy Spirit when we receive Jesus. Now, we can receive the fullness of the Holy Spirit subsequent to salvation. And not just once, but several times. And times again, and times again, and times again. And you should constantly be seeking the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. And the same thing that happens here, Paul laid his hands on them. Remember, this is exactly what Peter and John did at Samaria in Acts chapter 8, verse 14. They came to the people who had received Jesus. They laid their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. It's important that you get this, because so many Christians are not living with the fullness of the Holy Spirit. You, 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 and you believe in Jesus. You follow him. But there's no power. There's no sense. You say, well, pastor, what should I do? You should ask God to give you the fullness of the Holy Spirit. When we, when we ask you to come to, for prayer at the end of services at our church, please come and say, I just need the fullness of the Holy Spirit. How about come to First Tuesday, next Tuesday, where we're going to experience the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, this whole laying hands on, on you thing, that might freak you out during coronavirus. Right? Like, oh, I don't want you to lay hands on me. Social distancing. Well, maybe you need to break that. Maybe you need to break that rule to receive the Holy Spirit. Remember, Jesus touched the lepers. He touched the lepers because the power that was in him was greater than the power that was in the lepers. At some point, we've got to believe that the power that's in the church is greater than the power that's in the world. And this is, cannot just be a philosophy. It can't just be a theory. It has to be a reality. I read this article from NBCBoston.com. It's just about how many churches in Massachusetts are still reluctant to open because of fear and safety, fear and safety, fear and safety, fear and safety. Did, did, did Jesus, did the apostles like walk away from the sick and saying, whoa, fear and safety, whoa, got to socially distance, you might get me sick. <laughs> they didn't do that. This article, there's this quote from the Massachusetts Council of Churches. It says this, churches are designed to be places of healing, not sources of sickness. And so, so, so they receive the standards from the state, but then they want to remain in prayer and praise from home at this time. What on earth? Uh, just think, let me read the line again. Churches are designed to be places of healing, not sources of sickness. If you're sick, where do you get the healing? <laughs> if you're sick, where do you go for the stinking healing? Don't say one thing and then live another. If the church is the place of healing, then... Bring the sick, for heaven's sakes. Why don't they say, oh, Jesus, we know you have the healing, but we want to keep you safe, so we're going to put the sick over here. What the heck? Are we losing our minds? We are losing our theology in the face of fear. And what we need is the Holy Spirit to bring us back. Oh, I get fired up about this. Anyway, Apollos experienced more of the Lord the Ephesian believers experienced more of the Lord because they were open to what? To more of the Lord. I, if I'm missing out on any power that God wants to give me, I want it. Are you with me on that? Are, are you with me on that? What do I do, Pastor? Ask him. Seek him. Pray. Three points. And we're not done, by the way. <laughs> so I'm just going to give you a few three points and move on. It's possible to be very talented and knowledgeable about biblical things and still need further instruction about Jesus, just like Apollos. Number two, it's possible to believe in Jesus and have no power for living for him, just like Apollos and the Ephesian believers. And it's possible, to, that, it's possible that God has gifts to give you that you need to ask for and receive. I don't want to miss out on anything that God has for me. To these same Ephesian believers, Paul writes these words in the book of Ephesians. Later on in life, he says, Do not get drunk with wine, Ephesians 5.18. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with what? With the Spirit. The same people who received the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter uh, 19, when he laid his hands on them, he says it to them again years later in another letter, and he says, Be filled with the Holy Spirit. In other words, remember that experience? Do it again. Have it again. Have it again. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Addressing one another with psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. Some of you want to be filled with the Holy Spirit, but you never sing. 
You never open your mouth and make melody in your heart to the Lord. You've got to open your heart. Singing opens your heart. Giving thanks. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Okay. Now, maybe you're still on the fence about this whole be filled with the Holy Spirit thing. So I'm going to give you from Acts chapter 19, a couple more verses, reasons why you want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And here's the reason why. You want to know the reason why? Here's another reason why you need the Holy Spirit. Because there is an evil spiritual world out there that is coming for you. And it's very real. And it's very detrimental to who you are. Acts chapter 19, let's continue. Verse 8. And he entered the synagogue and for three months spoke boldly. This is Paul. Reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way before the congregation, he withdrew from them and took the disciples with him, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. Okay, so we've seen this movie before, right? With Paul, he goes to the synagogue, he preaches Christ. Eventually they say, yeah, no, 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 we're not interested. In it. And it's just, it just, it repeats in the book of Acts. And the theme is this, that those who have received some measure of religious respectability in their community are oftentimes the hardest people to reach with the gospel. The people who receive this, who get to this or achieve this respectable level of religiosity are usually the hardest to reach with the gospel. It's just true. Anyway, the Jews reject. He goes to the hall of Tyrannus. Um, some translations say he was there from the fifth hour to the tenth hour of the day, which means he was teaching five hours a day during the hot hours of the day in the Asian sun. And uh, he does this for two years and notice the results. All the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. Just powerful. So, so Paul's teaching in, in Ephesus, and he does this for two years. Strategy and hard work. Strategy and hard work. First off, he rents a hall at Hall of Tyrannus. He does this for five hours a day. <laughs> it's just amazing. Um, teaching them about Jesus. And the results are the entire uh, uh, population of Asia heard the word of God. Mm. It's hard work to bring people to Jesus. I, it's hard work for the church to have an impact in culture. Now, back to why you need the Holy Spirit. Because what's going to happen here in, in Ephesus is, is so um, f- frightening for those who do not have the Holy Spirit. Uh, let's, let's continue on, and I'm going to show you what I mean. Verse 11. And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hand of Paul, so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that touched his skin were carried away to the sick, and their diseases left them, and the evil spirits came out of them. Okay, so there you go. Sickness cast out at the hand of God's servant of, of Paul, Right? But a lot of times, okay, back to the prosperity gospel here, handkerchiefs and aprons. Now, this is, a, <laughs> this is a big thing today in the prosperity gospel, prosperity teaching movement, which is they will do this on television. They will say, I have anointed this handkerchief, and I will send it to you for any, any gift donation. They will send you this nicely folded, probably scented handkerchief. Okay, the word for handkerchief here in the Greek means sweatband. And remember, Paul the apostle was no three-piece suit preacher. He was a tent maker. He worked in the hot sun all day and then preached for five hours in the hall of Tyrannus. He had these sweaty bands, and he probably would take them off and throw them at the door on the way into the Tyrannus hall. And people would say, ooh, that's Paul's sweatband. Let me see if I can get some of that healing power. And he would take that sweaty, nasty, gross, smelly, because dudes be stinking sweatband to their sick loved ones and, like, squeeze, I don't know, they squeeze the sweat over or something gross like that, and they would be healed. Now, the important thing is you understand this word extraordinary is in the text for a reason. These are not ordinary miracles. They are extraordinary miracles. So this is not, this is not uh, prescriptive. This is descriptive. Just like Moses with the staff. Moses with the staff, divided the Red Sea, struck the Nile, do all, did all those things, struck the rock. It's not prescriptive. Now, pastors should not be running around like I did this past weekend, with staffs in their hand and striking rocks and striking waters. No, these are descriptive passages to just show us the power of God at work, especially in a certain area, for a reason. And here's why. Because the sons of Sceva in Ephesus, they represent something in this passage for us that we need to be aware of about Ephesus. Okay, let's look at it. Verse 13. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists, itinerant Jewish exorcists, undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. Seven sons of a Jewish high, uh, high priest named Sceva were doing this. Okay. 
Ephesus. Let's 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 talk about this. Ephesus. I already said it was the fourth largest city in the ancient world, two hundred fifty thousand people. But it was the center of um, mystical paganism in the ancient world. It was the center of sorcery, uh, magic arts, dark arts, uh, spiritual darkness arts. And remember that this is the church to which Paul would write in Ephesians chapter 6. What does he write? He says, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against what? The spirits, the powers, the principalities, the, the, the powers of witness in the heavenly places. He writes that to this city, this church in this city, because that was the center of paganism and the occult in the ancient world. And the case in point here is that you have these Jewish exorcists, okay, magicians, if you will, and they would, and they came along. And they said, "Oh, okay, in the name of Jesus, whom Paul, whom Paul preaches." And and this is the city that Paul goes to. Extraordinary miracles to substantiate the message of Jesus through him are enacted. Handkerchiefs and sweatbands that he lays at the, at the ground heal people, and it is it is testifying to this reality. Here's here's the point. Here's why you want to be more open to the Holy Spirit in your life, because there is a real spiritual world out there of darkness. There are demons. There are principalities. There are powers that are at work right now over your children, over their friends. Just a little, you know, pastoral help for you right now, a little practical thing. Don't let your kids go have sleepovers in the house of unbelievers. Don't do it. Those are your children. I have never let that happen. My kids do not sleep over the house of pagans. I don't know what goes on in their house. I'm not judging them. That's not my job to judge them. But I'm not going to give my kids to them. Be careful. There are spirits at work in the world that are attacking your spirit, your mind, your family's mind. This is why you want more of the Holy Spirit. Now, for the fourth time in the book of Acts, the fourth time, here in chapter 19, the fourth time in the book of Acts, that someone working for the devil tries to team up with Jesus. And this is a common practice. This is why Satan describes himself as an angel of light, right? So these Jewish exorcists who practice dark arts decide, you know what, hey, that Paul and Jesus thing, that kind of works. So they try to impress people by saying, in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches. And they have this familiarity with Jesus. I'll tell you something. If there's anything that's more dangerous than just following Jesus, it's just being familiar with Jesus. And they're just familiar. Oh, yeah, there's this Jesus name. I hear works wonders for Paul. Let me throw it out there. Well, guess what happens? Verse 15, the evil spirit answered, Jesus I know and Paul I recognize, but who are you? <laughs> I love demons. They have a sense of humor. <laughs> oh, yeah, I know Jesus and I know Paul, but I have no idea who you are. And the man in whom the spirit was leaped on them and mastered all of them and overpowered them so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. They literally beat the snot out of them. Seven men. Seven grown men are beat up by one man. That's the power of the evil world. That's the power of the darkness and the realm under which we live in this fallen world. And this is why you need the Holy Spirit. You need a power in you that will strengthen you against these powers. And so I am not interested. I'm not interested at all in telling you that after you believe in Jesus, you've got all the Holy Spirit you ever need. And so there's no need to ask and there's no need to think about these secondary experiences and there's no need to... Baloney. That's the devil's tactic to keep you weak. You need more of the Holy Spirit. You need to be filled with the Holy Spirit again. And again, and again, and again. Let's move on. And this became known. Of course it would. One demon-possessed guy beats up seven grown men. This became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, and great fear. And fear fell upon all of them. And the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. Love that. Also, many of those who were now believers came confessing and divulging their practices. The church... <laughs> Notice the results of this miracle. The church starts to get clean. The church had dark arts in them. And there's a lot of believers today who have dark arts in them. You, you mess around with things like, you know, books like um, The Secret and Deepak Chopra crap and all that kind of stuff. You got to watch out for this stuff. It'll mess with you. They divulge their practice. They're like, oh my goodness, I'm getting away from this stuff. You need the word of God, the pure word of God, and all this other nonsense, all these angel of light nonsense stuff. You've got to watch out for it. It's all over the place, still around. 
Verse 19, and a number of those who practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. Notice this. The repentance of the city begins with the believers, and then this happens, those who practice magic arts. So the church leads the way in repentance. The church repents and turns from their evil ways and seeks the Holy Spirit. And guess what happens to the surrounding culture? They start turning from evil thoughts and evil ways. And they counted the value of them and found that it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. I just find it fascinating that someone was like, I got the whole calculation of how much all this stuff cost. But the final word on this matter is this. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. The power of God at work in the Apostle Paul, in Apollos, in those Ephesian believers, those 12, those 12 men who said, we haven't even heard there's a Holy Spirit. And they received the Holy Spirit. And the entire city, the entire city was turned around. This, this is why we must continue to seek to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I don't care what you've been taught. I don't care what doctrinal lesson that you have adopted to be, some kind of biblical mandate for you to just relax spiritually where you are in Christ. There is no time to relax right now. Corona crisis has reminded all of us that fear is a very real and deceptive spirit, and we have an answer to it. God has provided that answer in the person of the Holy Spirit who he wants to give to you. That's what Jesus came to do. Amen. Okay, I want to just uh, finish up this podcast by reminding you, service updates, limited in-person schedule. We have a service Sunday, 10 a.m. Make sure you register at waterschurch.org slash events, waterschurch.org slash events. Make sure you register because you can't come if you don't register. And Tuesday, first Tuesday is back next Tuesday night. So no deep end. Next Tuesday night, we will be here in person. Make sure you come. Receive the Holy Spirit. I hope you've enjoyed this content. I hope you've enjoyed tonight. Hope it was a blessing to you. Spend some time tonight on your knees before the Lord, asking him to open your heart to more of the Holy Spirit. And then after you do that, or before, please, like and subscribe to us at youtube.com slash TV. Make sure you like, make sure you subscribe. We're over 500 uh, subscribers now. That's great. Want to get to 1,000. Come on, help us out. Come on over to the Deep End YouTube channel. Subscribe, like, thumbs up. Share it with your friends. Leave us a positive review on the podcast app. It helps spread the word. Uh, I'm so glad to be with you tonight. God bless you. I will hopefully see you Sunday or Tuesday. And in two weeks, we'll be back here again for The Deep End. God bless you. Thanks for joining us for this week's episode of The Deep End. We pray it helps you grow in your faith and your walk with Christ. If you don't already have a home church, we invite you to come out to one of our campuses this weekend. Check us out at waterschurch.org to find a location near you and a service time that fits your schedule. Make sure to stay tuned for next week's episode of The Deep End with Tim Hatch.